Do I have a pre-show in here? It X. says X. That means I, I, it means no. Oh. <laughs> I thought that had a meaning to it. No, I just I want the bullet point in there, and so um. whenever, whenever I'm doing doing things in like a document where I want to like know, I'm like, this is where a bullet list is going to go, but I don't mm-hmm. want to fill it out right now. Because like put some text there before you return the line again, so that the bullet stays. I've been thinking about what that meant all week. Mm-hmm. I was like X mount. Is it Mac OS ten? I just don't know. Could, oh, be, could be anything. Could be any of those things. Yeah. So so many things. Did you get your uh, Oppenheimer tickets yet? No, I haven't. I've been waiting for everything that we're working on to like mm. land in place, and so I didn't know. And so I waited, and now like all the good tickets are sold out. And now I don't know if they're gonna open up additional showings after August third. No, August second is the last day that. The theater is showing a 70 millimeter version for that movie. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, it's a very short window. Yeah, that is really short. And like my only day to do it is maybe like Monday or or Sunday, that last couple days. And most of the good seats are already taken. I'm like, maybe they're going to open up more days, but probably not. And so I haven't done it yet. Apparently it's just really rare now to have, you know, movies playing in 70 millimeter IMAX. Yeah. There's, well, there just aren't 70 millimeter IMAX movies. Mm Mm-hmm. And it seems like most of the projectors that they're putting these things on are breaking. I've heard yeah. so many yeah. stories of people like, yeah, like they couldn't figure it out for 15 minutes or like we lost the last 40 minutes of the movie mm-hmm. or the projector stopped. And I'm like, man, I'm going to see this movie and it's not going to go well. Did, did you see that Patrick Tomaso posted about that? Yes. And he said that they like flew somebody in from L.A. to run the projector. And even with like that expert guy, that they flew into this theater it still cut out like 40 minutes from the end. And I guess they got it fixed and he thought it was fine. But yeah, it's like, I guess it's just unreliable enough or or they, they haven't done it in so long that there's not that many people know how to do it. And it's the machinery hasn't been used. It's hot and it's moving fast. And mm-hmm. it's got like, yeah, like, I don't, even, I don't even know how to project film. I have no idea. They have multiple reels probably. Mm-hmm. And it runs on a Palm PDA from like 25 years ago. What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Look that up. I, IMAX projectors run on a Palm PDA, and some of the newer ones run an emulator of a Palm PDA because, like, they don't have the actual PDA anymore. <laughs> that's that's terribly interesting. Yeah. Oh, dear. <laughs> Maybe we'll put a link to that in the show notes for you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah sure. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, like, I really want... I really want to see it in 70 mil. Mm-hmm. So I feel like if I see it on maybe the last couple of days, they'll have ironed out most of the kinks yeah. before it's too late. Yeah. I, I don't know. One can hope. I just feel like I'm not doing that film justice if I don't see it in, in like as big as I can. <laughs> it's a very pretentious viewpoint of you, but, but okay. <laughs> I'm just, I'm doing what I can for, for my bud, Christopher. If you're watching a 70 millimeter IMAX movie, what is the optimal theater seat? I'm thinking it's as far away from anything as you can you get. You think so? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you want to be on like the back row in the middle. I don't know. But do you, do you want like the most immersive experience? Because I mean, if you have front row, like. I saw The Dark Knight in IMAX. Not 70 mil like IMAX, but, but you know, like actual IMAX. And we were in, usually there's like the front row and then like the back row. Like there's two, those two sections. Not like the front front. But we were in that front section, like in the middle. Mm-hmm. And whenever... Whenever that, like the very first scene in that movie where uh, after Heath Ledger like 
does all his Joker stuff and before he gets on the school bus and he takes off his mask and it's like the first time you see his face with the makeup and everything on. Mm-hmm. And it's a it's a close up shot. Like he doesn't even have his whole face in it. It's like forehead to, to chin. And he takes off his mask and he's he's like, I forget what he says, you know, why so serious or whatever. Or I don't remember. Um I swear you could smell his breath. <laughs> I was it's like, one of those 4D movies. I was like, this is a little too close. <laughs> I was like leaning back in my chair. I was uncomfortable. <laughs> so that's too close, in my yeah. opinion. You fair, gotta be, fair enough. You got to be like a little farther back. Yeah. But that, that resolution, it's like 16K equivalent or something. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't matter how close you sit. You're not going to see the pixels. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would argue that there aren't pixels. Yeah. Yeah, you would. it's a film projection. <laughs> It's beside the point, Lucas. Anyway, I I don't know. It, it feels kind of like one of those once-in-a-lifetime things. I'm sure that Christopher Nolan's next movie will also be in 70 mil or whatever. It'll yeah. be fine. But this one's like all practical. They blew up an actual nuclear bomb. Welcome back to the Camera Gear Podcast. I'm Daniel. And I'm Lucas. And we're here today to talk about the gear, software, and techniques we use to shoot photos and video. Do you think we could pre-record more parts of the show and just I, I could just sit over here and press buttons and get this whole show and you know? I mean, why not? Yeah, is that a different again? No, no, it's the same. You sure? Positive. Okay. I have not changed that file since I recorded it three or four weeks ago. Sounds different again. Mm-hmm. Man, it'd be funny if I messed with you that way. Golly, but I just like... had like five variations of it and just kind of switch them out every now and then. <laughs> the worst. Oh boy. So Lucas, it's finally happened. DaVinci Resolve 18.5 is finally no longer in beta. I feel like I've been living on quicksand up to this point, and this not being in beta just really helps stabilize me as a person. <laughs> you can you can build your life on a firm foundation now that you have a full release version of the software. Yep. <laughs> I just I can rest easy at night. I don't have to be worrying that it's gonna like gonna crash or something. I mean, it's still going to crash. Yeah. Actually, I've only had a resolve crash on me maybe like two or three times total. Yeah. I mean, it's been pr- pretty reliable for me, but it just feels better working on paid projects with something that's not a beta. Has there been any fanfare or anything with this uh, with this 18.5, like not beta? I mean, they, they tweeted about it. Like, that's a pretty big deal, sure, right? Sure, sure. Is there like a press page or something that I can um, go look at? Did they add any final features? Hopefully, they didn't add another feature. I don't think they added any more features. I, I so just ma- saw the thing on their download center showing like this is the final version or whatever, so. There's so many features. Yeah. Like, there's so many I features. I think they said like 150 new features. So This is this is one of the best releases of Resolve I've ever seen. Yeah. And I have only seen 17 to 18. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, you don't have a lot of sample size to work from there. But it's just really funny that it's a 0.5 release and it's this huge set of things. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about all those features ad nauseum but yeah. it's nice nice to know we're out of the beta mm-hmm. now all the people who've been waiting waiting to not be running beta software because they're way smarter than me they can do it they just yeah. upgrade to 8.5 take the plunge i think that the transcript feature being under the studio version not under the free version i feel like that's a pretty big deal yeah that was a pretty good move on their part i mean i think that resolve is Probably the best software to start with, just since it's free and even the free version is really powerful. But I mean, if you're using it to do big projects or if you're using it a lot, 
the studio version feels well worth it. I mean, like for $300, it's like a no brainer to me, but especially having things like that transcript feature. I mean, that's, that's been game changing for us oh, doing yeah. interview stuff. Yeah. I mean, it can be a big hurdle for us for some people and you know, it's, yeah. but you're right. Like the free version is a great entry in, like you don't get like the 10 bit, you don't get more than 4k, you mm-hmm. can't apply more than one effect. And now you don't get the transcript feature. Just those, those things for me were worth, worth the upgrade to get to yeah. studio. I think you don't get vocal isolation in standard, which is another big thing that. Wow. Yeah. Honestly, if, if 18.5 was a paid version, like if I had to pay another $300 just to get actual 18.5, I would do it. <laughs> I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even blink. Yeah. I'd be like, oh, 18, 18.5 is, is another, another payment. Take my money. Yep. It's it's been nice that so far at least they it seems like they haven't really done that. It's like once you buy studio, you just have studio. I mean, they could change that at some point. They and could. I, I, it wouldn't I don't think it would upset me if they did that. Because that's the trade off with buying a one time price. Yeah. But yeah. Glad it's out there. <sighs> Same. What else is new? I have a legendary lens for you. Oh, it's been a while. Yep. What do you no, have this another time? Another one on the list. It's it's not that weird thing you sent me that was like a wide angle lens that <laughs> like 270 degree field of view <laughs> i don't know how big the front element on that thing was but it's pretty big it i mean having seen that lens and me saying wow that's a cool lens but now here's a different legendary lens and this legendary lens has been nicknamed the eye of sauron <laughs> I'm I'm definitely curious. And it's not that lens that you sent me. Yeah. <laughs> which had a front element that was probably the size of a dinner plate. Yeah. <laughs> Something like that. Just want you to think about that for a second. Yeah. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm not nervous. even I'm not even naming this segment because this lens is so legendary. It has its own name already. What they name it? Well, I just, I just told the, you. Oh, the I the I have sorry yeah. is the name. Yeah. I see. Mhm. That's what people call I, I it. I thought that was your name. No, I'm just, I'm co-opting, is that the right <laughs> word? Uh, the name that everyone else has already given it. Oh, man. That's that's why I'll call the segment uh, a rose with any other name. <laughs> very, very creative of you there. Good, good job <laughs> with that one. All okay. right, tell me about this lens. Okay, this is the Canon EF 200mm 1.8 L. Man, it'd be funny if they had an L and a non-L version of that lens. Oh, man. Yeah. Well, what inspired me to talk about this is that this lens was replaced with the 200 f2, mm-hmm. and then there's now an RF 200 yeah, millimeter. Yeah, I saw the patent for that. Is that is it an actual release? I don't lens? think it's like out yet, but it's coming. But it's coming. Okay, which is great because you know this is this is a pretty cool lens for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. For the 201.8, they only made about eight thousand of them. It's a pretty low number, and like they haven't gone back and made something that fast that. At that length, again. Yeah. Okay, it doesn't have a front filter thread because the front element is too huge. If it, it the whole casing like that, outside front casing is roughly 130 millimeters. Oh, yeah, they don't even make filters that big. Yeah, so, so it's like stinking enormous. <laughs> and like the amount of like bokeh compression that you get out of this thing is insane. Oh, yeah, I bet. It's absolutely That, that crazy. wide of an aperture and 200 millimeter length, yeah. Yeah, it's just like it's like you uh, took a picture of your subject on like a painting where someone just like smeared all the paint around. <laughs> so what's the what's the purpose of it? I mean, is it for 
portraits or something it's, else? It's for like, you know, say you're going to take a... Okay, so one person who owns like four of these does shots for finish line for horse races. Mm. Where you need, you want that like super low depth of field portrait style, but your subject is really far away. Sure, okay. So like that's kind of the kind of thing, you know, it's this like really extra long portrait for things, you know, wildlife, sports, that sort of stuff. Yeah. Uh, but on Canon. It's roughly like eight inches long, but like it has this huge, huge, huge yeah. thing. Yeah, that's like it's it's bulky and big, but it's not. I mean, eight inches is really not as long as I would have expected. Yeah, so like it's it's decently sharp. It's got some some really cool bokeh, super just like mm-hmm. it's like this is the lens, right? If you want like to get the most weirdest, smeariest background, like this is it. <laughs> it's gonna run you like three thousand or four thousand dollars used. And uh, it weighs like 6.6 pounds. <laughs> That's it, huh? It's barely heavier than a Noct. <laughs> you know, honestly, these numbers don't sound that insane to me. Like, I mean, the weight's the weight is a lot. And I'm not saying it's a cheap lens, but for there not being that many of them and it being a, a really niche thing, I mean, three to $4,000 sounds pretty reasonable to me. Yeah, well, it's kind of cool. It's yeah. kind of unique. Yeah. I think it's especially interesting. One, because it has its own name. Two because they only made like so many of them, mm-hmm. and it's it was like from 1988 to 2004, and then they haven't gone back and made something like this yeah. ever again. And I guess the RF 200 f2 is close, but even that's not quite as fast. Exactly. So when I was looking through this, I actually came across another even more legendary lens. <laughs> so you've got like legends on top of legends now. Yep. So. This is actually a bonus legend within a legend. Oh, man. And this is the 1200 millimeter F5.6. Oh, wow. <laughs> that's that's a lot more. Yep. This lens is the most expensive lens ever sold. Like, like of any brand? Mm-hmm. It sold used at auction in 2021 for quite a bit of money. I want you to guess how much money you think this lens sold for. I don't know. You, the most expensive lens ever? Mm-hmm. $100,000? Daniel, you got to dream bigger than that. <laughs> Let me give you some more information on this lens. Okay. They were ordered by, they were special order only because they had to grow the giant fluorite crystals required for the front element. And so it would take like a year for them to make these lenses <laughs> because they were special order because they had to grow the crystals. <laughs> that's, that's ridiculous. There were there were twelve made. Twelve. That's it. <laughs> Whenever it was originally listed, it was listed for ninety thousand dollars. Oh, new. And in in whatever whatever year that was. It was in the nineties. Oh, in the nineties. Okay, so I mean, inflation's been quite a bit since then, but. Mm-hmm. There are only twelve of them. I, yep. I don't know. I mean, I mean, is it is it as much as a quarter million? How how much did this thing go for? Five hundred and eighty thousand dollars. <laughs> Gosh, <laughs> how do you buy that and then never do anything with it? Like, what are you gonna what are you gonna do? Like, take that on your safari trip and be like, here's my half a million dollar lens. I mean, maybe I don't know. It's a five point <laughs> six prime. That's crazy. What was the u- What was the intended use for it? You know, I mean, they had to have had a reason for making this thing. I think I think it's because they could. <laughs> <laughs> What's the front element size on that? Oh, geez. I uh, I don't actually 
know. Yeah, I don't know. Its close focusing distance is 45.9 feet. <laughs> Granted, it'd be like a macro at that at that distance. <laughs> yes, it would. Man, that's crazy. Yeah, no, this thing's huge. It's it's completely absurd looking. I, I assume both of these, like the EF 200 and this 1200, I assume that those are manual focus, right? Because there's no way there's an autofocus motor that can move that glass. No, the, the EF... 200 is autofocus oh okay yeah well it was, it was kind of a pretty big deal at the time it's not mm-hmm. like super great at autofocus but it is an af lens yeah i mean it'd be slow i imagine but uh, it's impressive yes it is Man. sorry i'm like scrolling this article for the little bit of additional pieces of information that you may need and i am not finding it i want to know how heavy it is like very like do it does this thing have a tripod bound or do i just trust my camera mount to hold it up I would not. I would not. I wouldn't do that. <laughs> no, I would make sure that you're holding the more expensive piece, yeah. which is the lens itself, no, which is the five hundred, the five hundred thousand dollar lens. Yes, exactly. <laughs> hundred millimeter, five point six, Canon weight, thirty six point three seven pounds. Oh yeah, perfect. Yeah, it's it's. I'm just so curious what somebody's going to do with that. That's crazy. It has a built in lens hood. Filter diameter, 48 millimeter drop-in. Oh, it's filtered in the back, obviously. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, why, why would it not be? <laughs> the diameter is 8.9 inches or 22 centimeters. <laughs> so we'll say that that fil- filter thread is 2,280 millimeters. That's... uh. It's not how that math works. I don't know, Daniel. I'm not. A, I'm not a. I'm not like a a metricetician. Yeah, yeah. Two hundred twenty millimeters. I don't know about that. Is it just one decimal over? I guess it is one decimal over. Uh, yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Two hundred and twenty-eight <laughs> millimeter. Still quite a bit. Yeah. When you think about it, if it's you said eight point nine inches, even even a matte box filter would not be big enough to cover the front element of that lens. No, we're not. <laughs> Canon described it as the world's largest interchangeable SLR autofocus lens in terms of both focal length and maximum aperture. I mean, when they say interchangeable lens, really what they mean, what they should have said is interchangeable camera, because it's kind of like you move the camera around this lens. You don't swap this lens onto your camera. Right. <laughs> interchangeable camera. <laughs> Anyways, that's it. Those are my legendary lenses. Good night. Yep. We will never have a more expensive lens in the legendary lens lineup. I mean, you never know. I just, you sent me that weird Nikon lens that was like the giant fisheye thing. Mm -hmm. And you're like, look at this thing. It's crazy. They only made 24 of them. And I was like, (laughs) (laughs) you don't even know. (laughs) Yeah, that's crazy. I don't think I'm going to be buying one anytime soon though. No. Well, because you didn't shoot Canon. That's the only reason. Yeah. (laughs) Now that you mention it. Oh, boy. Okay, what what else do we got? All right, so we have a question from a listener, actually. First time we've had that. Sweet. Yeah, so I'm just going to summarize his question. Um, This is kind of paraphrased from what he said or or little bits of what he said. He says, I'm trying to make a decision on a camera. I'm floating between two worlds in certain ways. On one side, I'm trying to keep my budget down, and I'm looking at the Sony ZV-E10, Canon R50, and the Nikon Z30. My next step is looking at the Sony ZV-E1 or the Canon R8 as another entry-level full-frame camera. I'm shooting both video and stills, lots of low-light stuff in concert and bar promotion type photography and rely a decent amount on some of the auto settings when I'm on the fly. 
I do marketing for bars and businesses and have several different hobbies on the side. I've been published several times for stuff I shot on a cell phone, but I'm looking to make the next jump. And he's hoping to stay around the $2,000 mark with at least a lens or two and some general accessories. So what do you think he should do? Oh, boy. That's a good question, Daniel. I feel like like this is a tough one. If you're shooting indoor, low-light stuff, you need as much light as you can, Mm -hmm. which means like full frame if you can get into it. And really fast glass. And both of those things are expensive. Yeah. I mean, you and I have dealt with this type of situation quite a bit, actually, because we yeah. shoot a lot of events in indoor spaces that are not well lit, and we're just constantly struggling to get enough mm-hmm. light. Right. I do think that, you know, in shooting on, like, APS-C on Fuji, like, I'm living at, like, 12,550, 12, 1,250. Jeez. I can't do math. Yeah, at minimum. Yeah, right. So, like, I mean, you're sitting at 1250, like, you have all this light, but even though, even there, you know, you're shooting at F to 2.8 uh, with, like, a dark, dark lit, like, a concert type scenario. On APS-C, I'm typically shooting almost 3200. Sometimes I push it to 6400. It just kind of yeah. depends. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. Which is, you know, pretty, no, pretty it, noisy. Especially if you're doing photos. You know, you right. can get away with a little bit better if you're doing video because your shutter speed's going to be so low. Right. But when you're doing photos, it's like, I generally want to be at, one over 160 or something at least you know to to try and freeze motion and then yeah you have a really hard time getting enough light yeah and and if you're shooting raw obviously it's iso invariant and so you're gonna it's just gonna be whatever it is whenever you edit it and like there's some noise reduction stuff that can help but i feel like aps-c is gonna be pretty restrictive i Mm -hmm. wouldn't go smaller than that uh it would be good to get into full frame yeah and so like looking at these options i feel like the only the only full frame options are either buy something used or go with the Canon R8. Yeah. Yeah, because he like he mentioned the Sony ZV-E1, which honestly seems like a pretty good choice in terms of features. Like he said he wanted auto features and, you know, and stuff like that, but it's just out of his budget. I mean, the camera by itself is $2200 and then you need a lens to go with it. So that's that's a little out of range. Like you said the R8, the price is right. It's like 1500, but again, I kind of worry about hitting that 2000 budget once you start adding in lenses. Right, and maybe like, like you're looking, like say you keep started looking at the Sony ZV-E1 just for like it's like it's like the low light, low light king, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's it has a 7s3 sensor and it's that 12 megapixel full frame. Yeah, and so it's like maybe if you're looking at use options that are similar, you could look at like an A7s2, but that camera is what five or six years old, yeah. and I don't know if it. I think it, it does shoot 4K, but it runs into, sort of running into the limits of that camera. It's also not going to be good for photos. No, it's not going to be really great for photos. So that's probably maybe not the best thing. I would think like as far as budget in the full frame category, the R8 is kind of the only option. Yeah, the only new option for sure. Yeah, I did throw on here, you know, maybe like an A7C as something that one could consider. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's smaller, more compact. It's basically an A7 III. Mm-hmm. And you can still find either of those used, you know, for right around a thousand bucks, right? Yeah. You can maybe maybe like twelve hundred, maybe nine hundred, just depending upon where you're looking. And like that gets you into Sony, gets you into full frame. I think that my biggest uh, apprehension in suggesting anything that Sony is that if you're shooting video, you're going to get a lot better color out of Sony if you're shooting in their ten bit formats. And the cutoff for that is at the A seven four, and so it's like A seven four or newer. Yeah. Yeah, which is going to be pushing it on its price range. Right. So, like, not to say that the A7C doesn't do good video. Like, it does pretty good video. And it's just like you're maybe, it maybe doesn't have like the flexibility or the latitude. Mm-hmm. And I can't 
I don't think it has S-Log3, which is their better low-light log profile. Yeah. And so if you can get something that has S-Log3 in it, that's you're going to be better off. Yeah. yeah and, you're probably right. And like a used A7 IV is still pushing it. It's like $1,800 or $1,900 mm-hmm. or something. And if you're at that price point, you might as well buy an S5 Mark II. Yeah. And so, yeah. And, and then stretch and a little bit more to 2000 Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like if you go Canon R8, then what do you, what lens do you get with it? My thought would be that you can get the 24 to 105 F4 to F7.1 for less, for about $500. Yeah, right? but so like, F7.1 is not great. Yeah, that's zoomed all the way in, though. I mean, it's going to be close to F4 until you get to, mm-hmm. you know, 70 millimeters or so. So, like, I feel like that's an okay option. It's just that's the problem with Canon, right? It's all the glass is really expensive. If you're okay shooting primes, you can get, like, a 50 and a 35 and an 80 all for probably less than $1,000 total. Yeah. And then, you know, you're, you're basically good to go. Mm-hmm. And so, I guess, like, that's the other thing. If you're comparing, you know, full systems, a full frame at F4 is APS-C at F2 as far as light gathering capability. F2.8, I think. Yeah, yeah. F2.8. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And so, like, if you can afford a 2.8 option in APS-C, then maybe you can save money on the body and go that route. Sure. Which... Well, I was going to ask you that. I mean, do you think there's any scenario where you would go APS-C on this? Because I couldn't quite tell from his question, but it kind of makes it sound like he doesn't have a camera right now. I mean, he mentioned getting published some with using his phone and says he wants to take the next step. So, I mean, I'm kind of thinking if he's if he's been shooting on his phone, even APS-C seems like it would probably be a step up. Yeah, I think it would too. And so... Like talking APS-C, what would you recommend in those categories? Well, I mean, you know, we we like Fuji and the XS20 just came out. Seems like a great camera. It's got, you know, good good autofocus and colors and all that. Um, And I think the price is right on that one where he'd be able to get, you know, something like the Sigma 18-55, Tamron 17-70, something like that uh, with that camera for, you know, around 2000 before tax. So that's... That's yeah, because that, right that's Sigma f two point eight, eighteen to fifty five is six hundred bucks. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So like you get a decent camera out of the S five S S twenty. Yeah. Like you can shoot that open gate recording. It has f log to it. It has f log one. Mm-hmm. Like I think that's a pretty good option at twelve hundred dollars for the camera. You can get the lens, and then maybe if you're like you have a little more budget, you can get a prime. Yep. Maybe you can get like the Sigma 30 mil or the set of uh, the 56 1.4. Mm-hmm. Those would probably be fine. So like, I think that is, I, I agree, that is a good option. Another interesting take, maybe uh, a used XT4. Yeah. That'll be a couple hundred dollars more. It's probably about fourteen hundred bucks, but it's going to get you. It's basically the exact same sensor. The S20 has its newer processor. I think the X-T4 might, it's like heavier. So maybe like you'll get better handling. Yeah. And it's kind of just, it's kind of just different, but mm-hmm. it's, it is another option. Yeah. I mean, I would, I, I like the newer features in the S20, but I would maybe consider the X-T4 if he felt like photos were going to be a really big part of what he was doing. Sure. So I don't know. I mean, you know, and, and the, A, the A6700 just came out. That's another potential APS-C option. I mean, you know, seems like it has good specs and all that. It's around the same price. I like the 6700 a lot for this. I know that it's it's more than the S20, but depending upon where your growth path is, getting into Sony, especially if like you can buy full frame lenses for it and kind of like and then buy into a full frame camera later, I think that one has a lot of potential. Yeah. 
So I kind of like the A6700 A6, the most for this question. Mm-hmm. And then you would still land on the exact same lens. It would be a the Sigma 18 to 55, 2.8. Yeah. Now that is an APS-C lens. So right. you know, the, the, the growth path is maybe a little bit limited on that. But, you know, he could start out with that. And then if he wants to buy additional lenses, he could get full frame lenses to prepare for a future camera. Sure. I Yeah, definitely. So I think like I think that's my favorite is the is the A6700 followed by if unless like you want to grow into a Fuji system the XS20 is probably the best Fuji option mm-hmm. um, and if you have to go full frame you go with the Canon R8 but keeping in mind budget you're basically going to be using having the same light performance right yeah because if you're in if your budget's two thousand dollars you're going to buy an f4 lens and then like it's it's basically the same mm-hmm. thing yeah and I, I think the only other thing I'd say is that I mean the the cameras we just mentioned are you know, pretty new, probably not really going to find a used XS20 or A6700 yet. But in general, with stuff like this, when you're on a budget and you're really trying to like buy more camera than you can afford, that's when you look at used stuff. And, you know, you and I are lucky that we have a camera store here that, you know, has quite a few used things. But, you know, even looking online, places like KEH or, you know, looking at uh, B&H's used section, I mean, buying used you can get way more camera for your money and same with lenses so that's definitely something to look into yeah and kind of in that same vein i think that if autofocus isn't important like if you're okay with shooting more manual and you don't need any sort of autofocus with what you're doing a used s5 you can find for less than a thousand dollars yeah and that's full frame Mm -hmm. uh the autofocus is basically useless for video the contrast detect focus for photos it's pretty good. Yeah, if he just wants it for photo, that'd be just fine. But yeah, I would not recommend that for video if he needs autofocus. No, I wouldn't either. Uh, but it has a very similar sensor to the current S5. And I mean, you can shoot you can shoot 4K. You can get 10-bit out of it. It has export. I think it even does RAW out the HDMI. Is that right? Uh, I don't know about that. I think that might be an S5 Mark II feature. Yeah, I think you're right. I can't remember everything about the S5. But yeah. it's, a, it's a decent camera. It's comparable to... The same generation of stuff that was like the XT XT3 series kind of mm-hmm. thing, but it is full frame. Yeah. So, I would say that you know if autofocus isn't important and you need as much light as you can get, you could get into an S5 and then you could probably buy a Sigma 2.8 lens for 800 bucks and then you're still kind of under that under that thousand yeah two thousand dollars. But you've got a full frame camera. But you have a full frame camera. Yeah. So, I know I kind of I kind of liked that as one of the options. Yeah. Quite a few choices there. Yeah, so like, what's what would be your pick? I mean, he talked about you know the, those cheaper options from Canon and from Sony, the ZV-E10, yeah. which you know for photos, I feel like that's not the right choice. It doesn't have a viewfinder, that sort of thing. It's not really a great photo camera. Uh, the M50, also mentioned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I, at this point, I would get an R50 over an M50. I think. Sorry, I meant R50. Um, I don't think the Sony ZV-E10 is a good choice. I like the price of it, but. Not having a viewfinder, I think, in that sort of like dark room situation is really kind of a problem. I find myself when you and I are shooting events, I find myself using like the viewfinder quite a bit for photos. Sometimes I feel like it's less distracting to the people and I can just see what I'm doing better. So I don't like that option. I could see the R50 making sense. I think that's a pretty good camera really for the money. I don't really have a problem with that, but I guess I feel like if he's willing to spend $2,000, like you and I both know that generally you pay more money, you are going to get a better camera. And so I'm more inclined to avoid some of those cheaper options and say, you know, he'd get some improvement over his phone with that, but not, not as much as if he spent more. And 
I mean, I'm kind of coming around what you said. I kind of think the A6700 might be the best choice here uh, just because you can kind of grow into the Sony system. It's a brand new camera. It's got all their newest features, going to have great autofocus and all that. Um, and I do think he'd be able to get that camera and a lens for, you know, somewhere around his budget. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I think where I'm going to land on this is that if autofocus is important, go with the A6700. Mm-hmm. Uh, the lenses that you're going to buy for that are going to be the exact same as the Fuji. So if you prefer the Fuji colors, go with the Fuji S20. But to me, like the A67 and S20 are essentially like interchangeable bodies for the exact same lens that you're going to buy. Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, but I think that my pick for this, if autofocus isn't important, is the S5 Mark I. Yeah. Because you can get that for less than a thousand bucks. And then you can buy, you're, you can then spend a thousand dollars on a 2.8 2470. And that's going to be the better noise performance and everything. It can shoot 4K 24 at, at 10 bit 422. And it has, like it, it's all decent codecs. It's a really good camera. You get all the video features. Yeah. It's just you, you're going to have to manual focus your video. And that might be, that may be a problem. Yeah. So, yeah, it could be. I mean, we like manual focusing video because you don't get the focus hunting. But if he's running around trying to capture quick clips for social media or mm-hmm. something, he may really need the autofocus. Right. So right. It just depends. Yeah. For me, like with what we do, I wouldn't second guess doing the S S five. Yeah, but yeah, but that's know. us. So. Yeah, and then and then like the lenses are absolutely full frame, and then like the upgrade path to that is like a used S five Mark II in a year kind of thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you could probably sell your S five for whatever five hundred bucks and buy that for fifteen hundred, and so like two years down the road, year down the road, thousand dollars, you have an even better camera. So. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Yep. A lot of good options out there. Mm-hmm. None of us said the GH6, which if I remember correctly, no way, it was the GH5S, was according to uh, our teens, the low light king. <laughs> so I'm surprised none of us suggested uh, that one. Yeah, Micro Four Thirds is too small. Yep. You know, it's like I, I, I used a GH5 for a while. It's a great camera. It's a great camera in a studio environment, but trying to do it for event stuff in the dark, I mean, that, that, lens, that, that sensor just is not big enough. But that stabilization, man. Yeah, that so stabilization. Good. Cool. Well, Jason, I hope that helped. Um, and yeah, I mean, anybody else listening, if you want us to answer your question, then go to our website and send us your question. It's fun answering those. Yeah. More more meandering around the question yeah. and then never coming on to an exact answer, yeah. which I feel like is, is probably all you're going to get out of us. Yeah. It's, <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's about par for the course, but they should know that by sure, now. That's sure. what this podcast is. That's yeah. meandering around topics. Yep. <laughs> Speaking of, what are we talking about next? <laughs> well, Lucas, we need to talk about this tripod thing because I've had this on the show notes for a really long time and you keep telling me you don't want to talk about it. You keep pushing it off, pushing it off. I We're going to talk about tripods, dang it. I swear I care. Just like you have, you have like three so tripods. So many tripods. I have two tripods. That's why I said like three. <laughs> I was rounding up. <laughs> two is like three. Yep. Yep. But the problem, Lucas, is that none of my tripods are perfect. For large values of two. Yeah. Well, it's because you didn't buy the Peak Design uh, everyday tripod thing. Yeah, you're probably right. Is that what it's called? I don't know. Travel tripod? Um, I think it might be called travel tripod. Yeah. I mean, I, you don't even have to... You don't even have to explain to me what your problem is. Small Rig came out with a new tripod, <laughs> and it's perfect. Just get that one. Hashtag not sponsored. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but let me let me tell you about this. So, what I've kind of realized is that there, you know, there's there's different classes of tripods for different needs, and I think some of the people listening to this show probably know way more about this than you and me do. But we're we're learning here, so impossible. I I feel like 
you know, on one hand, you've got like casual use photo tripods where, you know, I want to take a time lapse. I want something to hold the camera up for, you know, whatever reason. And, you know, you're just putting like a regular camera and a regular lens on there and it's not going in any extreme environments or anything. You just don't really care that much about how durable it is. You care more about how small it is and maybe like how, you know, easily you can set it up or whatever. And that's the main kind of tripod that you and me have both always used. Cause I mean, we've been hobbyists doing this stuff and, you know, we just have normal mirrorless cameras. And so we're just using basic tripods. I have a, yeah, you don't need a mount. You're like your, your Aerie 65 on it. Exactly. Thing. Exactly. I have a Benro Aero 2, um, which is kind of meant as a travel tripod. It can like one of the legs comes off and it turns into a monopod. You know, some, some people probably have things like that. What's the one that you have? Your Suri one? I have a Suri, Su, Suri, golly. I know, I can, I hear it when people talk about it. And I go, I'm going to get that right one day. <laughs> and then, you know, when the pressure's on, like, and I'm like just sitting here just shirtless and sweating and like, it's just really intense. I can't get it. And this is one of those times. And this is another reason people should be glad that we don't publish videos of this podcast. Right, exactly. Well, maybe yeah. after shirtless summer. Yeah. People thought I forgot. We're, we're still podcasting without shirts on. Uh-huh. It's, I see it in the show notes every week. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so you you have that tripod. And what's the, do you know what the model is or anything? You probably don't. <laughs> no, I have yeah. no idea. Yep. But it's just, a, it's still just like a basic like photo yep. type tripod. Mm-hmm. Um. My tripod would be offended. Yeah. But you yeah. called it basic. Yeah. Well, it is. What? The center <laughs> column like goes up and down. I can put my camera on upside down. It's like super light. It, it has has latches, not not twisties. Yep. Yep. We're gonna get to, we're gonna get to all that. So all right, okay. That's what we both have. I also have a heavier duty tripod, which is made by Davis and Sanford, and it's the Pro Vista seventy five eighteen. That tripod. Man. I know. <laughs> And that tripod is a beast. So I that was the first one I got. And I got it on Amazon for a really low price. It was like $130 or something like that. And it has a fluid head. So nice for video. You can do like smooth pans and stuff. That was stuff. including the fluid head? Yeah, man. That's like 50% the price of a normal good fluid head. I know. I know. This thing's cheap. But it supports 18 pounds. And I mean, it's big. Like that thing is a pretty hefty tripod like it looks like it can take some abuse mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but it does have a few problems and the biggest problem that you and i have run into with that is that it doesn't have a center column and so if you care about exactly how high your camera is it's really annoying to set it up and like try and get the height exactly right i mean that's not uncommon for video tripods yeah. to not have a center column mm-hmm. i think it's a matter of stability which is why the small rig free blazer is so cool. You can unlatch all the top things and then just grab the head and lift it and then latch it. Yeah. I see. I've already solved your problem. You really, sound, you really sound like you're on an infomercial right now. I'm just saying they figured it out. They came rolling into NAB and they were like, oh, yeah, DaVinci Resolve 18.5, whatever. Uh, camera to cloud. Pfft. Hold my beer. Because they needed two hands yeah, <laughs> to, to, to do the, the tripod thing. And then everyone was like, oh my gosh. I'm just saying. 
Anyways, go keep really, going. Talk about all these problems seem, that the, the free blazer can fix. You seem really excited about this tripod. <laughs> well, my biggest problem now is that I got a V-mount set up for my camera. I want to use the V-mount battery because, like, if I'm using the camera handheld, it's going to be more mm-hmm. stable. I don't right. have to charge the battery. Like, there's a, you know. And you, you need a tripod that has a D-tap on it, I understand. Uh, yeah, 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 that's it. <laughs> no, it's just that it's really heavy. And my camera with all the stuff on it, with the monitor and the, v, and the V-mount. Hold on, wait. That, V-mount is probably like a couple, three, two pounds. The camera, the, the camera's, uh, camera with lens is probably four at the cage, at the monitor, mm, 11 pounds. That's about right. Yeah. It's, uh, it's somewhere around 11. I, Nailed when it. I, when I was looking at what like that weight was and, you know, sometimes you want to put a bigger lens on or something. I wanted something that can hold like a minimum of 13 pounds. Okay. And I also don't really like to be at the limit. You know, you don't sure, really want to sure, be using sure, things sure. all the way at the limit. And so I'd really like to have something that could do like 18 pounds, you know, just to Daniel to, to really max out. I think what you mean is that you don't want to use things right at the limit. <laughs> I'll, I'll say that's a 10% over. There's a safety factor. <laughs> YOLO, right? Well, you can put your... <laughs> why don't you add up how expensive your camera is? <laughs> you can decide what you want to do with it. But my my Benro Aero 2 that I've been using for all this work, you know, doing interviews yeah, and things yeah, like yeah. that, has a 5.5 pound weight capacity. Wait, what? Sorry, what? Yeah. Hold on. Hold on. Yep. Daniel, you need a new tripod. And yeah. And and I, I kind of left out that I have a fluid head that I bought aftermarket, which is a Manfrotto 502 Well, that doesn't count AH. the fluid head, does it? That's a, good, that's a good fluid head. Yeah, it's a really good fluid head. And the fluid head has a 22-pound weight capacity, which is, you know, that's more than enough. But here's the problem. That fluid head itself is not light. And, I mean, by itself, the fluid head is like two pounds. So when I put the fluid head on my Benro tripod, I only have like three and a half pounds of weight capacity past that. Not enough. No, that's it's not that, enough. That's like that's like if you had only the XH2S and a thirty millimeter yeah. lens on it. Yeah, like you put your you put your camera on there, you put that fluid head on there, you sneeze on it, and it's just going to collapse. I mean, yeah, no, this is this is not good. Dan. Yeah, this is not good. And so that's kind of where where I've been. Like, man, I kind of kind of need a new tripod. And I started thinking about you know like what features do we really care about? And you kind of mentioned some of them, but I mean, I kind of want to ask you more directly, like. What features do you think are important for a tripod for this type of stuff? Like if you're going to set up and do an interview or, you know, something something along those lines, like a video tripod, what features would you look for? Okay, yeah. So right now I'm on Siri's website looking for my tripod, so I could tell you. But I feel like if I was looking for something that could support 13 plus pounds, I would want the legs to have those braces so that it wouldn't go like, yeah, wouldn't like, what's, what's it called whenever the dogs lay on their tummy and stick their legs they out? They call that splooting. Right? Yeah, I don't yeah. want my tripod to sploot. <laughs> so that would be important to mm-hmm. me. Which is called a mid-level spreader, I have learned. That's something different, Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> I would think that like some way to easily change the Z, mm-hmm. you know, whatever sure Z-axis. up and down up and down i want to go up i want to go down without having to like you know okay i gotta move this leg then i can move this mm-hmm. leg i move this leg then move this leg and like watch the ball and i can't see it i want to be able to know that it's square like leveled but while also easily being able yeah. to raise it up like three inches or down five inches or that sort of I thing i remember us having that problem a lot when we did that film shoot uh last august where I think we had one tripod that did have a center column and then we had one that didn't. And I remember, you know, having this heavy camera with like a Ninja 5 and a Teradek on, on it. 
And I remember like holding that camera up and having somebody else loosen the legs and lengthen them. And then you're trying to level it. And yes, yeah, a nightmare. Oh, it's, it's, it's horrible. So like that's important. Mm-hmm. I mean, the one way to get around that is like maybe you have a ball that adjusts and can like swivel. Yeah. But I have no confidence in those like tension balls. I know that they, they're probably fine. But yeah. I mean, well, and it's just like another step, it. right? Like you have to look at that and try and. Yeah. But then you can right. like just set your legs and then you can like twist the ball or whatever. But then if you're panning. It doesn't like it doesn't, yeah, it's not it doesn't necessarily work, right? Yeah. So I would that would say like easy to level, easy to adjust the height, mm-hmm. and enough bracing that it's not going to fail on me in a catastrophic yeah, way. That was good. And then also like the fourth one would be easy to transport. Yeah, which is I you know it's kind of hard to get all these things right because a, a tripod that can hold a lot of weight is also going to be heavier. Right. So. What do you think about uh, lever locks versus twist locks? What do you prefer? Lever locks, man, all really? day. Yep. What's your reason? They're easier because, like, you can just like I can I can reach down and I can grab all three levers and pop them, mm-hmm. and then let the legs fall and go snap, 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 and then I'm good to go. Versus the twisties, I never know if I'm twisting it the right way. Sometimes they get over twisted. Mm-hmm. It's just it's just a huge pain. Yeah, and you feel like you got to tighten them down. So you yeah, can, you can't yeah. look at it and know whether it's tight. Exactly. That's a problem. Exactly. Yeah, I think I agree. Yeah, no, that so all makes sense. Snaps are better. So. I looked at some specific options of tripods that fit some of these criteria. And like you said, that new small rig one looks pretty interesting. So there's a couple of tripods that do this sort of thing where they have like a lever lock style thing, but you can just unlock one thing and get that whole leg unlocked. So, you know, the way yours works and the way my current one works is you've got like three sections to your tripod legs. You have three little locks in there. You've got to mm-hmm. click all the locks and then yep. when you extend it, you've got to like lock all those back. And so it, you know, it's just kind of time consuming. And they make these like small rig has this one now where it has a single lever at the top of each leg and you loosen that one lever and then it unlocks the entire leg. And so mm-hmm. you can go up and down with it. Nice. And it seems like you know quite a bit about that tripod. Oh, wait, you're talking about the small blazer? I, I am. Sorry, I was looking for my tripod while you were talking and I was only 50% listening to you. Yeah, Let I me think tell that's you about common. the small blazer, Daniel. All right. I don't really know too much about it. I just know that it's the best video tripod ever made. And you don't even and know the can, right name of it. You can call it small blazer. Because it's I'm, I'm shortening it down <laughs> to the small. I know it's a small rig free blazer, Daniel, but some people just call it the small blazer. Us who are in the know, who are like just really into this this tripod, we call it the small blazer. <laughs> well, okay then. Just imagine like a really tiny, tiny blazer. <laughs> like a like a Chevy blazer? But no, I was thinking more like a coat. Oh. <laughs> like okay. one that a squirrel would wear. <laughs> oh, that would be adorable. <laughs> just a little baby one. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it has that cool adjustable thing. It's got the swivel head. I'm into it. So does it come with a fluid head? I have no idea. You don't know. I think I think like it's an option, but I think you can also buy it without the fluid head. The one that I'm looking at, this three hundred fifty nine dollars and ten cents. I think it comes with a fluid head. Oh, okay, that's what that extra ten cents is, probably. Oh yeah, certainly. Yeah. yeah. I think I'd seen that maybe, I when I when I made these notes, however long ago it was, it was on sale for two hundred. But I think normally the price was two fifty, and I bet that was without the fluid head. Yeah. So without the fluid head, you can get it for like one fifty. Oh man. I'm just saying, this is Intro. a good deal. Yeah, I might have to look into that. I'm telling you, dude. You know what the uh, weight capacity of that one is? Okay, so uh, package weight, it, I mean, it ships since like 400. Weight capacity, 17.6 pounds. Yeah, that's yeah, that's within my range. I, I would consider that. I'm just saying, man, this no. is the tripod, and uh, you don't really need to think about anything else. Though, I would like to point out that I think I may have found my tripod. 
And it's not that one. And it's not that one. I'll close that tab. Mm, I think it's this one, which is the Siri, maybe like ET1204. And I can't remember if I have the carbon fiber or the aluminum. I think I might have the carbon fiber. But I bought it on sale. And mm-hmm. the camera store was like 50% off or something. So I spent... Like more than a hundred bucks, but less than two hundred bucks on it. And you were coming from a photo tripod that your dad gave you that was probably from like nineteen sixty. Okay, uh, I'm taking everything back. That's the best tripod. <laughs> <laughs> that thing weighed a ton. It had its own like bespoke case. It was it like caught on it every time I took it in and out. It was aluminum, and I think it had latches and it had like this like gear thing that you like you rotate mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. it folded out and like rotate and it's like. The thing was insane. <laughs> and the, the the head, the head itself was on a lever. And so like you had to mount, you had to like tilt it up and put your camera on it. And then you could, you could adjust the tilt, like the, um, you could basically go vertical. You go portrait mode. Man, they were just, they were, they were ahead of their time. That was for Instagram. Yeah, man, that thing is, that thing is horrible. <laughs> <laughs> and your main goal in getting a new tripod is you wanted something portable for travel, right? Exactly. So I almost, Almost bought the Peak Design travel tripod, but then you would have been that guy with the Peak Design tripod and the Peak Design bag, and and I don't know. I don't see what the problem is, Daniel. <laughs> so I am. <laughs> well, as long as you embrace it, yeah, I love all my Peak Design. So stuff. why didn't you get that one though? Okay, so this one was cheaper, and it folds down. It'd be close, right? You know, within twenty percent of the same size. Mm-hmm. It's basically the same weight, and it, mostly it was just cheaper. Okay. Uh, but like I get, it can, you see my tripod? It can. It's like about as big as your your Benro, right? Yeah, it's yeah. like not that much smaller. Mm-hmm. It's the good wh- for travel. For yeah, sure. the weight capacity on mine is eighteen pounds. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. So I'm take, surprised yours is that much. Take that. Yeah, I'm just saying, like, if you get into something that's carbon fiber, you can optimize mm-hmm. for weight capacity and for like lightness. Like this this tripod weighs less than two pounds. Yeah, and so I mean, like, you're gonna pay for it. You're gonna pay like two hundred plus dollars, but you can get a you can get something that melds the difference. You can get mm-hmm. like a travel tripod with a center column that has like all the lockings and the latches and all the adjustment things that you need. And then you can also swap a fluid head onto it if you need to, and it can hold like fifteen to eighteen pounds. I just I just question. I think like you know because when you go to the camera store and you physically see tripods in person, you see some of those big video tripods and things are huge. I mean they have big feet. And the legs just seem a lot beefier than yeah, for what sure. we have. And so, I mean, you know, sure, some of that is if you have, you know, like your Area Alexa or whatever, you know, you've got your $100,000 camera on there. But I guess I also wonder if you've got that much weight, like, is it is it just unstable if you have this two-pound tripod holding up this heavy camera on top? Like, is that is that the reason to go with one of these heavier-duty tripods? Yeah, so I would think that if you are using a lighter tripod and you're going to put something substantial on it you probably want to counterweight it like most of them have a hook or something Mm -hmm. underneath and so you would put like a weight on the hook that does count against your total weight right so like maybe if you have 10 pounds of gear on there you put two pounds you know underneath or five pounds or something that even help yeah i don't know i mean you can hang your your peak design travel backpack on that that thing weighs (laughs) 42 pounds whenever you get camera gear in it oh but then you've exceeded your weight limit so that's true i don't know I don't know. I mean, because if you look, there are some really expensive tripods out there. So Manfrotto makes one that has that same quick unlock thing that the small rig one does. But the Manfrotto one's $830. Yeah. I mean, that's that's crazy. I feel like for what you're doing right now, I wouldn't... Getting a video tripod is probably not necessary. Mm, probably whenever, too, too big. Yeah. Whenever... I mean, it's like, like 
transporting that thing around is going to be really annoying. We're setting up in like people's houses sometimes. Mm-hmm. We're setting up in just you know unknown locations. Like we don't know where we're going to be filming the next thing, and like it could be a pretty tight deal. So I would think that you're probably it's going to be the same problem that you have with the current tripod, which is like it's just too it's an ungainly. Yeah. And so like unless you're just going to dive in and get a small rig free blazer, which is obviously the right choice because like you can get just the tripod for 150 dollars and nothing's gonna be perfect i don't think that's true i don't think you can get it that cheap you can get i mean i'm, I'm looking I'm, I'm looking at it right now what is the product name oh geez i actually lost the tab i'm not looking at it right now okay so here is the uh small rig free blazer heavy duty aluminum alloy tripod 150 dollars. i'm surprised that is that cheap mm-hmm. maybe they have a carbon fiber one too maybe that's what i'm thinking of i mean it doesn't have the, it doesn't have the head on it yeah and uh folded up it's a uh, oh geez they use they didn't use freedom units crap uh 800 millimeters mm. whenever it's folded up i think that's approximately 27 feet <laughs> oh jeez. <laughs> no it's 80 centimeters and you divide it by 2.5 or so it's like I don't know, 30, it's like 30, two, it's 30 like two inches, and a half like two and a half feet. Yeah. So that's fine. And then it goes up to uh, almost 2,000 millimeters, which is nearly six feet. Yeah, that's a lot. So, and it has like the switches. I'm just saying, man, 150 <laughs> bucks, you slap your own head on this. This is the choice. But if you don't want this, you can spend more money on a dumber tripod. Or I could just take my camera out of the V-mount rig and use my existing one, which is probably what I should do. I mean, I don't know, Daniel. I feel like you could get a cooler tripod. No one likes that Benro tripod. <laughs> anyway, I'm just saying, I think that, you know, whenever the S, S1H Mark II comes out, and then they inevitably release the box version of the S1H Mark II, yeah, and, you're like, yep. and you're like, Lucas, I know I have seven cameras and a hundred lenses and a small rig free blazer. Just kidding. In this situation, you don't have a small rig free blazer yet. You, this that camera comes out and you're like I, Lucas I got I gotta buy it I just have to I have to I know that we did this whole like we're gonna have the same cameras and like we don't have the color match anymore and it's all great for all the stuff that we're doing I just can't I have to buy that I'm gonna get I'm gonna do a conversion let I'm going all in I'm buying I'm going Panasonic and you buy the box S1H Mark II at that point you're gonna put a lens on it you're gonna put a, 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 a matte box on it it's gonna have a V mount. It's gonna have all like this fancy monitor. I think whenever you're running that rig, that's whenever you get the video tripod. Okay. But until you get to that point, and you're like, I'm maxed out right now, and it's only twelve pounds. Mm. I feel like you could get a D, de- like just get a good tripod. That's not the Benro one. Just kidding. Benro makes good tripods. But get like a good tripod that can do twenty pounds, eighteen pounds. You'll be fine, and I wouldn't worry about it too much. So I haven't leveled up enough for a big tripod. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Huh? No, you, I mean, like, you're not even shooting full frame, Daniel. <laughs> oh, low blow. <laughs> okay. Definitely not the Fuji cast this Ooh, week. Oh, boy. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, we didn't even recommend any Fujis. <laughs> That's not true. However, if you felt like you just really needed to and you wanted to buy a small rig free blazer, I would 100% support you. <laughs> because as we both know, there isn't a better tripod. Everyone listening to this is really going to think Small Rig's paying you <laughs> off. I'm starting to wonder if Small Rig's paying you off. Uh, Potato Jay came out with a video on it, and I haven't watched it yet because it's it's like 20 minutes long, and I just need to really, really need to um, make the time to just watch it. I love his videos, but they've been kind of long lately. That's fine. I'm okay with it. I'm no, not complaining. I'm not yeah. complaining. I'm just saying that I want to be able to to give it the time of day. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's talking about. This tripod. What do you think the right spot in the theater is for watching a potato chat review? 
I would do. Okay, so I went to go see. What did we go see? Uh, there was this. I don't know why I see weird movies in theaters. <laughs> like there's like all these cool blockbusters, and it's like, oh man, you go to the movies, you go see, you can see like Indiana Jones or Into the Spider Verse or you know whatever. And I think the last movies that I saw in the theater was like that that blackening movie, <laughs> and then I saw that um, what was it called? Uh, Suri or something or Saza or it's like that Norwegian John Wick movie. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> There's this movie about this guy. It's like takes place in like Norway or Sweden or Finland or something. And the guy's like digging for gold and finds a bunch of gold. And then he's trying to like take it back through a war zone to the bank so he can like cash in or take it home or whatever. And the Nazis try to take his gold. And so he kills all the Nazis and it's horribly bloody. <laughs> and, uh, well, I went and saw that movie in theaters. Oh, yeah, obviously. <laughs> because it was like, anyways, I feel like I only see these movies. Uh, and when I got there, there was a guy who was like, we got there like 15 minutes early, 20 minutes early. There was someone who was already there and he was sitting in the front row in the center. <laughs> he was ready. And I'm like, this isn't a packed theater. <laughs> like, that's what, no, that's where he wanted to be. There he was, chose that spot. No, like, there weren't people sitting around us. Because like we went to a mid afternoon showing of a movie that's only playing at one of the Alamos in Austin, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like there's like no one else is watching this movie. Like it's already on Netflix. I mean, I just this is who you are. Yeah. So and that is who he is. That's where you sit for the potato yeah. jet video. You've got to get the full immersive potato <laughs> yeah. jet experience. Mm-hmm. You, yeah. you, you 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 throw all common sense aside and you say I'm showing up 20 minutes early for this video. And I'm sitting in the front row in the center. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll have to check out his video, even though I don't have an IMAX screen to watch. I, I challenge you to try to not buy this tripod after watching that video. <laughs> You're probably going to buy it halfway through. You're probably right. You're like, dang, Lucas was all up on it. It was the, the star of the show at NAB. Now, so now Potato just talking about it. I can't not. I'm looking at the show notes here, Daniel. And there's paragraph after paragraph of you lamenting about what what tripod to buy and all these things to think about and like different brand names. You could have just come to me. You could have said, Lucas, what's the best tripod? And I would have said, the small blazer. You would have said, that's not a tripod. <laughs> oh, we would have gone through this whole thing. Yep. And and, and we, find, we could have done this weeks ago. Weeks. We could have. Mm-hmm. Instead, here we are talking about blazers for squirrels and I don't even know. Just don't even know. Jeez. Okay. So now that you know what to do, do we, do we got to talk about anything else? I don't think so. I think we've just about covered it. All right. Cool. That's it for the show today. Thanks for joining us. And if you liked it, tell a friend so they can check it out too. You can find out more about the show at www.cameragearpodcast.com. And you can find us on Twitter at Camera Gear Pod. We'll be back with more next week.